You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. If you would please open your Bibles to Psalm 125 and remain standing for the reading and proclaiming of God's Word. Our reading this morning is Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We are continuing our series, The Pilgrim's Playlist. We're walking through the Psalms of Ascent. These are the ancient songs of faith that men, women, and children would sing as they journeyed to Jerusalem to worship the living God. And throughout the Psalms of Ascent, what you will notice is that the city of Jerusalem is going to continue to appear. And the reason is it becomes the sort of central symbol of home for the believer. When we read this term or we read about the city Jerusalem in the Psalms of Ascent, we are to begin to think about our home, our home with God together. Now, if you're familiar with an individual named James Corden, he's got this sort of late night show and he's got this famous skit called Carpool Karaoke. And the premise is that he picks up these celebrities, they get in the car Come to find out, he's probably not driving, but whatever. And they begin to sing these this celebrities' songs as a good old fun time. So a few years ago, he picks up Chris Martin from Coldplay. And they're singing through the Coldplay catalog, and they come to one of their most famous songs, Viva La Vida. And there's this chorus where it goes, you know, I hear Jerusalem bells are ringing, roaming cavalry choirs are singing, and... They're singing that chorus, and and Chris Martin turns down the radio. He's like, wait, 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 mate. Wait, what did you just say? And Corden responds. He says, a few cherished bells are ringing. And Martin's like, oh, okay, okay. And Corden's like, wait, 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 is that not it? And he's like, no, don't don't worry about it. It's okay. This is music. We'll go with that. And so Corden presses him. He says, no, 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 tell me what the words are so I can get them right. Now, I may be looking too far into this, but it's interesting to me that the word that he was mixing up was Jerusalem, the place of peace and protection for God's people. And he was mixing up this place with the phrase, a few cherished. So think about that, one single distinct place versus a number of vague things. And so Martin's response was, you know, this is music. This is, it's creative. It's art. You sing your thing. I'll sing my thing. No big deal. Who's to say who's right? And this is a very popular idea today, especially when it comes to faith. You've got your way. I got my way. Like, what, what, 
who says that this is the right way? Who says this is the wrong way? So there's, I don't know, the Buddhist way, and there's the Muslim way, and there's the Hindu way, and then there's the Jesus way. They're all, you know, different routes, essentially, to the same destination. Now, while Psalm 125 is music, and it is poetry, it is, however, extremely important that we get these lyrics right, because they are not flippant. And they are not being left to the people to sort of interpret and fill in the blanks how they please. These are songs that guide God's people home. And as the community of believers sang these songs, they would be instilling truths into one another and reminding each other that while travelers are going to come from all over the place, from near and from far, that not all paths lead home. In fact, what is clear from this psalm is that there is one path of the upright that leads to peace in the city of God, and then there are crooked paths that lead elsewhere to evil and ruin, the path of the upright and the crooked paths. And so this song begins with what will determine the direction of your life. What is going to determine you know, who you are, where you are going, what you are becoming. And what that thing is, is trust. The direction of your life is determined by the direction of your trust. The psalmist begins, those who trust in the Lord. The path of life is one where you have placed your hope, your confidence, your, your, your faith in the one true living God, and now are risking it all daily as you journey toward him. And the bulk of this psalm is really going to focus on the outcome of that journey of faith, on the outcome of that life of trust. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you are taking notes, the first thing to note is this, that those who trust the Lord are stable and secure. Look at me in verses 1 and 2 again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, who cannot be moved, but abides forever. Which cannot be moved, rather, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Now, geographically, Jerusalem is set up in in the the high sort of mountain places surrounded by these mountain peaks, and it creates this sort of bowl-shaped, bowl-like area, and it makes for natural protection against foreign invaders and other threats. It, It was and sort of continues to be this fortress up in the hills. But not only was this practically beneficial for the nation of Israel, but more importantly, What it did was it served as an ongoing picture of the stability and security that is found in God's care. And that's what's being described here. God's people are those who will not be shaken. These are those who will not be moved. These are those who don't crumble or buckle under life's circumstances. Why? Because they're on the rock. They've been led to the rock that is higher than them. They are within the care of God who is steady and who is sure and who will not be shaken. See, 
trust is only as strong as the object of your trust. If you trust in a shaky thing, guess what? You're going to be shaky. But if you trust in something that is immovable and steady, guess what? You're going to be steady. Eugene Peterson, writing about this psalm specifically, said these words. My security, my stability, comes from who God is, not from how I feel. Too many of us are trusting how we feel. My stability comes from who God is. Discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not by what I feel about him or myself or my neighbors. You see, I believe the promises that we're seeing here, the promises of stability and security are becoming more and more desirable as the world grows increasingly unstable, as as times grow increasingly uncertain. In fact, I have to imagine that today there are people watching that are thinking to themselves, man, I wish I could find this sort of stability. It sounds too good to be true. I wish that I could be an individual that when things go crazy that I'm, you know, unmoved. Maybe you're like most of us are thinking in this moment, like I'm constantly being moved by sadness or by failure or by people or by my job or by the world or by pandemic or fill in the blank. I wish. You see, God knows that we are really vulnerable people. And he knows that we grow insecure very easily. And what this psalm shows us is that what we need most is not inner strength. What we need most is not like grit or, you know, willpower and determination to stand strong in this moment. No. What we need most is to be surrounded. If you think about it, from our earliest moments of life, this is something that we require. For infants, what do we do? We swaddle them tight. For, for our little children, there's their security blankets and, you know, the plethora of, of, of stuffed animals around their bed. They're, they're surrounded by these, these things of security. And all throughout life, the items may change. It may go from a swaddling cloth to stuffed animals to fill in the blank. But that need to be surrounded never goes away. In fact, a cultural historian named Tiffany Watts Smith said that objects can be intensely reassuring. From old vinyl to pairs of shoes, you shoe collectors out there, gathering treasures around us can bolster our sense of self in an unpredictable world, giving a feeling of permanence. And this is exactly what we do. When we feel like things around us are growing more unstable, We seek to insulate our lives with things or people or collectibles or you fill in the blank in order to give ourselves even just the smallest sense of security like it's going to be okay. We look to things to surround us, but God's people approach life differently. We are not those who seek to surround ourselves with stuff or objects to find security. Our security is found in the unending presence of God that will never leave us. Our security is in the fact that God surrounds his people. Now, it it seems like ages ago, but it was only just earlier this year that our nation experienced an unprecedented shortage 
of toilet paper. And this, that whole thing that, by the way, like decades from now, people are going to be studying these weird people from 2020. This theory was proved this year. In fact, I have to share my lowest moment of 2020 was the day I stood outside of a store in line waiting for the doors to open to get toilet paper. I remember the doors opening up and me sprinting to the back of the, the store. I'm taking shortcuts through like the toiletry areas. I'm like passing old people feeling a sense of accomplishment. I get back, I get my one, you know, package of toilet paper. And as I held this toilet paper in my hands, I, I had just this immediate sense of relief. <sighs> I'm going to live. <laughs> and then seconds later, it dawned on me, what? am I becoming? I am that guy. I am like the people from decades ago that, that raced to the back of the store on Black Friday to get the like Tickle Me Elmo doll. Like I became that person. And so I began to ask myself, what am I becoming? Am I someone who is shaken and is impulsively reaching for things? Or am I someone who is steadied? and trusts that I am surrounded by God. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha was graced by God with these particular insights on how Israel's enemies were planning to attack them. And the king of Syria figures out that it's Elisha that's responsible for this, and he's infuriated, uh, you know, how he's anticipating all their moves. And so he sends an army to seize Elisha, to stop this. And it says in 2 Kings 6, so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and he went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, and the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Oh my gosh, we're surrounded. What should we do? But isn't this us? The pressure's up. We're surrounded by difficulty. And what is our immediate response? What can I do? What are the resources that I can gather right now to make sure that I weather this storm? And he goes on to say this. He, speaking of Elijah, said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elijah prayed and said, oh, Lord, this is my prayer for us in the season. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Our first question should never be, what are we going to do? What should we do? Our first question should always be, who is with us? Who is truly surrounding us? And the eyes of faith are lifted up beyond, above our trials and our circumstances to see that the God who is with us is always going to be greater than that which comes against us. And this is the Christian's confidence. This is our confidence in a season like this where it seems like so many things are stacked against us. I may look around and notice that I'm surrounded by difficulty, but the truest thing is that I'm surrounded by God. This is where we will find 
security. This is where we are going to find stability. Now, the second thing to note about this psalm is that those who trust the Lord are set apart. Those who trust the Lord are set apart. Look with me in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Now, another way that Jerusalem was symbolic was the way that it was set apart. It's on this hill. It's elevated above all of the neighboring cities and neighboring nations. And so throughout the generations, it was intended to serve as this ongoing reminder of how God's people are set apart from the rest of the world. They're different. They're distinct. They live life on a different plane, on a different level. This is the land of the righteous. And here in the land of the righteous, life just operates differently than anywhere else. And so as these travelers would come and ascend the Mount, Mount Zion to the city of God, they would be reminded of God's plan of redemption to rescue people out of the world, out of brokenness and sin and wickedness and evil, and into a life of holiness. And so each step as they ascended, remember the songs of ascent, was a practical reminder that we are a set-apart people being taken out of the way of the world. See, God had chosen them from out from among all of the nations of the world to be his people, a people that would enjoy his presence, a people through whom God's holiness would then be manifest and known in the world, revealed to the world. In fact, in Leviticus 19, God essentially summarizes his vision for his people, and he says these words, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. What was God's vision for Israel that they would be holy as God is holy? Now, this wasn't because of Israel's strength. It wasn't because of Israel's wisdom. This wasn't because of Israel's track record or even their own moral goodness. It was according to God's grace. And the psalmist really alludes to that when he talks about the land that is allotted for the righteous. The, the word here means to be given to be graced to the people. And so as the Hebrew would enter into Jerusalem after this long journey there and be tempted to look back and think like, look at all that I've done. I've earned access here. I've earned access into this place. They would be reminded, no, 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 no. I am here. This is my land. This is our land. Not because I've earned it. Not because I deserve it. But because it's been given to us. This holiness, this distinctness, this set-apartness is a gift to now be stewarded. And so the question for us, because this can feel very disconnected unless you're making a religious pilgrimage to Jerusalem this year, and this could feel very disconnected to us, so what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for the Christian? Well, the vision hasn't changed. In fact, the New Testament reiterates the very same language of the Old Testament in 1 Peter 1, where it is written, be holy because I'm holy. What God desired for Israel, be holy, he desires for the Christian church, be holy. And as the Hebrews would ascend to this 
set-apartness, so we are called to rise above the ways of the world. We, as God's people, are called to be set apart and to live differently, to live out these distinct lives. But the Christian, the Christian is one who realizes that the only way that I will ever ascend to holiness is if holiness first descends to me. See, all the other religions of the world are going to essentially say the same thing. Rise to wholeness. Rise to completeness. Climb the hill to God. But here's how the gospel is different. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that God came down the hill to us to make a way. And not just to make a way, but as Jesus would describe about himself, to be the way. To be the way to holiness. See, holiness shared in our humanity so that humanity could then share in God's holiness. The believer is one who is chosen by God according to his unmerited grace. The believer is, are those who have been rescued from sin and misery through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus and now brought back into communion with God and his people, brought into the city of God by his grace. We are those who are made righteous through faith in the righteous Son of God. We are those who are made holy through the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. This is not our doing. This is a gift to be received and then stewarded. When the psalmist says that the scepter, that's language we probably don't use very often, it's, that's a royal staff. That's proof that someone is king. When the psalmist says that the scepter of the wicked won't rest on the land of the righteous, this doesn't mean that sin and wickedness is never going to be found among us. That, that doesn't mean that sin won't be found within the walls of, of God's People. In fact, as it's been said before, the non-believer does not have a monopoly on sin. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And as the psalmist says, even the hands of the righteous are going to be constantly tempted to reach out to do wrong. So what does this mean? This means that wickedness won't be allowed to rule. It means that wickedness has been dethroned. Wickedness has lost its grip on God's people. And so for the Christian, while sin unfortunately is going to remain present in our lives, the good news is that sin's power over us has been broken. It no longer has authority over you. As Paul would describe it, you are no longer a slave to sin. Now through Jesus Christ, you are a slave to righteousness. Sin had dominion over you, but now through faith, God's righteousness has dominion over you. That is what is controlling you. That is what is defining your life. And now, as new creations in Christ, the goal of our life is to now live out what is true about us. The goal of our life is to now lean into and experience the justification, the being made righteous that God has already accomplished for us, for that to be realized and appropriated in our lives. In fact, as Oswald Chambers put it, we must continually remind ourselves of the purpose of life. 
We are not destined to happiness, nor to health, but to holiness. And if you've set your sights on anything else than holiness, then the truth is you're going to be asking for disappointment. Because health comes and goes. And years like 2020 remind us, happiness comes and goes. But holiness is what is going to endure. Holiness is what we are going to take with us into eternity. And without this vision for your life, the truth is Christianity is not going to make a lot of sense. Without this vision of be holy for I am holy, it's going to just be like a lot of nonsense. And you're going to forever struggle to understand what this life is about, why you experience certain things that you experience in the Christian life, why you do things and don't do certain things. I don't know. It's just kind of like arbitrary rules in this book, like a set of random requirements that don't make a lot of sense. You're going to fail to grasp everything if you fail to grasp this. Believer is living a life set apart your vision for life? Is this what you are journeying toward? And if it is not, I want to invite you to reassess your entire life. Pretty bold statement. But I'm a pastor, I get to say crazy things like that. If this is not your primary vision for life, then you need to have an existential moment of reassessing where you're going, what is controlling you, what is the the motivating principles of your life, because this, this is what God has called you to, to live a set-apart life. Look finally at uh, those who trust the Lord stay the course. Those who trust the Lord stay the course. Verses four through five. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. And to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. See, these final verses lead us to a fork in the road. There's a fork in the road for all of us. There's the path of the upright, or in the Hebrew, this word literally means the straight. The straight way, it's where we get the term, the straight and narrow. And then there are these crooked paths that lead to demise, the demise of evildoers. And so the reader can either go God's way or they can go their own way. But to choose our own way is to forfeit God's way. And to choose our own way is ultimately to forfeit the peace that God promises for those who go God's way. But here's the truth. You cannot have both. If you remember from our season of Lent, I read a Robert Frost, famous Robert Frost poem, and it goes like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood. And I looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And what this poem captures is the reality that one traveler can't take two paths. Don't fool yourself. One traveler can't take two paths. And today, I may not be able to convince you to choose the way of Jesus that leads to life. I pray and I hope that you do. 
But what I think I first need to convince you of is that the Bible leaves us no room to believe that we can somehow straddle the way of Jesus and the way of the world at the same time. To repent and to believe is to abandon our way and to set out on God's way. One traveler, one path. I want to conclude with an illustration from a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. This is a a book that I've revisited often throughout my Christian journey. I read it to my children about a year ago, and I really recommend it as a companion to this series in the Psalms of Ascent. It's probably one of the most famous books in print today. And in it, it, it's really the story of a man named Christian who set out from the city of destruction by faith towards the celestial city of God. He's on a faith journey. And at a certain point in the story, he's, he and his travel companion, Hopeful, are experiencing the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of what's called the King's Highway, the way to the city. And after experiencing this really peaceful area where the path runs alongside a river, it's tranquil, as they journey on, they notice that the path is moving away from the river and into this really rough terrain. It's becoming dry and difficult, like many seasons in the Christian life. And as they're in that dry season and the dry part of the King's Highway, they begin to fantasize about what life would be like on an easier path. As they went on, discouraged and beginning to despair, they noticed another path. And it's interesting that this path appears as they begin to wish for an easier way. And this path is running alongside the King's Highway. And as they look down, they realize, you know what, here's the King's Highway leading to the Celestial City, and this one seems to be headed in the right direction, and so they take that. They step over, and and they say, ooh, yeah, (laughs) This is the kind of path we've been wishing for. It was smooth. It was easy. And as far as they could tell, it was kind of pointing in the right direction. But what they were suppressing was within them this this knowledge deep down that they ought to remain on the king's highway. And they take this other path instead. And as night falls, they begin to realize that they have been led astray deep into the territory of a giant named despair. And so as they're sleeping, they're, they're awoken to this giant standing over them, and he seizes them, and he throws them into this dungeon called doubt. And they're sitting in this dungeon for days, starving on the brink of despair. The giant keeps coming in, and it's like, hey, you might as well just take your life now because it is over for you. And in a moment of just deep despair, a thought comes to hopeful mind, hopeful, hopeful's mind. He thinks, wait, we may be in the giant's territory, but the giant doesn't have authority over us. Why have we been sitting here in despair? And at that moment, also, Christian remembers that he has a key in his pocket that was given to him earlier in the journey, and he reaches in his pocket. He grabs the key. He reaches through the iron doors, and he opens the door, and they flee back to the right path. And what this serves is, uh, serves as is a picture of repentance. They flee from the shortcut way. They flee from this path back to the king's highway. And what this is a picture of is the hope that that remains for every man and woman that repents and returns to the way of the Lord. You may find yourself in that place today. 
you are wishing, man, I wish this life was a little bit easier. And at that moment of your wish, you see the easier path arise. You think, oh, it seems to be leading in the right direction. And shortly after, you find yourself in the dungeon of despair, and you're thinking, how the heck did I get here? And how do I get back? And my hope today is that, hope, that, that thought that came to Hopeful's mind would come to your heart and your mind today as well. That you may find yourself in the giant's territory, but the giant of despair has no authority over you. And you've been given the key of freedom through faith and the gospel. And your way to freedom is to return to the path. And so as they're journeying on the king's highway again, this chapter ends with a song. And in this song, they sing these words. Out of the way we went, and then we found what it meant to tread upon forbidden ground. And friend, I want to close with this. You don't have to find out the hard way that there are no shortcuts on this journey. I urge you, do not find out the hard way that there are no easy paths to the celestial city. That there's one route, one path, one way, and it's the Jesus way. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer for you today is that God would strengthen you so that you would stay the course because here's the hope, here's the promise, the peace of the city of God awaits those who stay the course. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...